0: you're listening to puma podcast
1: hi everyone Jin Sab here normally our material is pretty g-rated but today we'll be talking about an alcoholic drink gin
2: apart from talking about drinking we will also be consuming alcohol in this episode
1: so you may want to listen to this one before sharing it with any kids in your life happy listening Who do you think
2: is the biggest consumer of gin in the world? If you think of the UK, we don't blame you. Gin is a quintessentially British drink, right? But
1: actually, the biggest gin market in the world is the Philippines.
2: Surprise! You might not be surprised. This is a Philippine history podcast after all. In this episode, we'll learn how gin came to the Philippines and what it means to us. I'm Sab Schnabel, a historian and the managing editor of the online magazine Journalism. That's journalixm.com. And my preferred drink of choice is a gin and tonic.
1: And I'm Siege Tantengu Malolos, a history nerd. And my first sports memory was my dad teaching me to cheer for the Hinebra Gin Kings. Hinebra!
2: As an Alaska Aces fan, how dare you?
1: (laughs) We'll be sharing this episode and a drink with our special guest.
2: Hi, I'm Nicole Corato.
0: I'm a Filipino sociologist based in Australia, and I'm a gin enthusiast.
2: Mix yourself your beverage of choice and sit back as we tell you the story of this gin-credible drink. There are many different sources that talk about where gin supposedly came from. It depends on who you ask.
0: So some people would say it's the... I think the Benedictine monks in Italy in the 11th century, they were using distilled spirits with juniper berries to heal the sick. Or others would also associate the medicinal properties of gin, but not to the gin, but actually to its best friend, which is the tonic, right? Um, tonic because it has quinine, it's used to fight malaria. But then others would also say where it really took off was during the war, when the Dutch were fighting alongside the British during the war. Uh, Apparently the British soldiers were noticing how the Dutch were so chill and so courageous when they fight. And apparently it's because they had a distilled spirit that had juniper berries that they were consuming.
1: Some sources even say gin was called Dutch Courage
2: at that point. But on the whole, the beginnings of gin are nebulous. Some sources say it was first distilled in Belgium in the 13th century. Others say it was created in an alchemical lab in the Netherlands in the 17th century.
1: The earliest distilled
2: liquor we have heard of that used juniper berries was in the 11th century. To put that in perspective, that's so far back, Oxford University was only just starting to come about. It's almost as old as our pre-colonial boat, the Balangay. Gin is made
0: of juniper, so technically uh, a beverage can only be called a gin if it has juniper in it. Juniper looks like a berry, but we're always reminded that technically it's not a berry. It's dark blue, it's almost black, it's aromatic. When you get the chance to hold a juniper berry, rub them against your palm, the aroma is divine. So there are different rules in the distillation process, but that also explains why there are different varieties of gin. There's like a London dry gin, there's an old Tom's gin. And basically, the distillation process makes those differences in terms of how much sweetener can be added. Juniper
1: has been used since basically time immemorial wherever it grows for medicinal and
2: spiritual purposes. The Egyptians supposedly used juniper in their mummifying rituals.
1: And it was used to ward off the deadly plague, a.k.a. the Black Death, which broke out several times in Europe from the 14th to the 17th century. You know those plague doctors with the beaks that were everywhere on the internet during the pandemic? Those beaks were stuffed with healing herbs like juniper.
2: Fun fact, those doctors were sometimes known as Dr. Schnabels. Because Schnabel, which is the German pronunciation of my name Schnabel, means beak.
1: In Finland, there is an ale-like beverage that is flavored with juniper instead of hops.
2: Even Central and Slavic Europe have a liquor that is flavored with juniper.
1: I guess when you don't have any spices, you use whatever you've got. The first protogen was supposedly the Dutch spirit called Yeniver. Yeniver is Dutch
2: for juniper. The credit for Yeniver goes to two particular people both working in Leiden, now South Holland. Sylvius de Boove was a 16th century apothecary and the other was Francis Silvius, a professor of medicine in the 17th century.
1: And then in 1575, Bowles, famous for being the oldest cocktail company still running, started making Yeniver. And by 1602, it was supplying the Dutch East India Company known as the VOC. VOC
2: sailors got Yeniver in their rations. And so the Dutch brought Yeniver everywhere from Indonesia to New Amsterdam, which you may know as New York. Who knew the story of a spirit could be so complicated? The simple part is this. The British changed the name Yeniver to Genever, shortened to gin. War and trade both contributed towards cultural exchange, and that's how we got to gin. And now, gin is one of the most popular spirits in the world.
1: But what was the history of drinking spirits like in our neck of the woods? What was our society like when it came to alcohol?
2: We've had alcohol on these islands since before the Spanish came. In Antonio Pigafetta's account of Magellan's voyage, when they came to the archipelago, the people were already drinking spirits. Pigafetta himself had a taste of local rice wine, most likely pangasi.
1: Alcohol in the Philippines before the Spanish came was largely made from sugarcane, rice, or coconuts. Surely you've had tuba or lambanog.
2: Tuba and lambanog have been so ingrained in our culture that some scholars believe it was Filipinos who taught the Mexicans how to distill liquor that way. And that's how we got tequila and mezcal.
1: Like many other civilizations, alcohol was an important part of our ancestors' rituals and celebrations.
2: Even today, we have uniquely Pinoy practices like tagay
1: culture. Tagay culture is the practice of many people drinking from one glass. People sit in a circle or around a table. And the leader, or tanguero, pours out a shot for each person, passing the one glass around until we run out of alcohol or we get too drunk to keep going. Whichever comes first.
0: Oh yeah, it's such a beautiful drinking ritual. Some people would say that is an expression of trust, right? That you're drinking from the same cup. So you know that it's not poisoned. Um, but it also has some symbolism on friendships, right? Like parang you share a drink to your very intimate friends. Tagay is a practice for people who are not lawai conscious, obviously. When I
1: was a rookie reporter, I would spend so much time sitting with the cameraman and the crew drinking Hinebra and passing around the cup. That was our team building. Sometimes, the first pour is even spilled on the ground to thank the ancestors and appease the spirits.
2: Sharing glasses has always been a big part of Filipino culture. See the blood compact of Raja Sikatuna and Miguel Lopez de Legazpi. They combined their blood and wine in one cup and then divided that cup into two, showing they were of one blood, or San Duguan.
0: Because most of my fieldwork is done uh, in Tacloban, in communities affected by disasters, so what I really um, notice is the solidarity and the, the camaraderie with drinking alcohol. Of course, the Caribbean is too back country also. So there is that solidaristic aspect of drinking. Throughout
1: history, there has been a social aspect to how we consume alcohol, as well as folk beliefs about what alcohol can do for us.
0: So for example, we know that minors also drink alcohol because they think that it will cleanse their lungs. So it's very much connected to maybe folk beliefs of what alcohol can do for medicinal purposes in the same way that Europeans also thought that there are medicinal beliefs when they have a distilled spirit or uh,
2: juniper-infused spirit.
1: Now, when did gin make it to the Philippines? And how did it become part of our deeply rooted drinking culture?
2: In some famous words we might know, The British are coming! The British are coming! The British are coming!
1: Did you know that the British occupied Manila from 1762 to 1764? It wasn't long, but it was enough to introduce us to the English language and our new favorite beverage.
0: I have a couple of books about gin on my shelf. And one of those books entitled Philosophy of Gin was actually claiming that it was when the British were bringing casks of gin in and out the port of Cavite. And when the British troops withdrew, the locals developed a taste for gin.
1: And in a word they didn't use back then, it went viral.
2: Think about it. What's better in the tropical heat than something cooling and refreshing? I
0: find it odd to drink red wine when it's very warm. It's a drink for cooler weather. Some alcohol is like that, like whiskey, I also associate with cold weather. But think of gin pomelo. Crushed ice, gin, pomelo juice. Sounds like a
1: relief on a hot, hot day, right? So Filipinos took the gin like a fish to water. How did we get to be the biggest gin consumers in the world? We'll pick up from the Spanish era when we come back.
2: Ours is some of the oldest commercially produced gin in the world. The Ayala Distillery opened in 1834. You know them today as Ginebra San Miguel. That Ginebra part now
1: might sound kind of familiar. Ginebra, Ginevra, Yennever, Juniper. Ginebra is actually Spanish for gin. Ginebra
2: and gin itself took off. Nicole thinks this is why.
0: It's cheap, relatively. I think what's interesting about Filipino cocktails, the way it's consumed in everyday life, in the sari store or in the company of friends at home, um, the way it's constructed is it's so cheap. Even the juice, the mixer, is bought in a sachet. Even if you just buy the small gin bilog and then you buy a sachet of pomelo mixer, it's affordable. I think this is what's really cool about Filipino gin. It's so humble. It's not snooty or pretentious.
1: When you're young and you can't really afford wine, (laughs) but you can afford a cheap mixed drink with gin. Or you could buy a bottle and buy some sachet juice and mix with your friends.
0: I really miss that. So every time I'm in the Philippines, either for leisure or for work, when I do go on fieldwork and go to places that are definitely humble, I really enjoy reconnecting with a Filipino cocktail.
1: When you think of the word cocktail, you might imagine a tall glass of a colorful drink with fruits and syrup, maybe some leaves. We don't really associate it with a plastic pichel you might make gin
2: pomelo with. But that's the everyday sort of cocktail. Meanwhile, Nicole says that in other countries, the idea of it is fancier, even scientific. Bar patrons care about bartenders who've won prizes. Some are even finicky about the quality of the ice. In other
1: words, there is a class dimension to drinking gin.
2: In many countries,
0: it's considered the drink of the poor. I think even in England before, in the like in 1750s, it's considered cheaper than beer to the point that Upper class Englishmen were worried that lower class people were consuming too much gin and they're not being the productive members of the society. And it created this impression also that vice or addiction is associated with poor people drinking cheap alcohol, while the intellectuals, the landed elites were drinking
2: alcohol but not the cheap variety. In the West, there was a gin craze in the 18th century. People would flock to gin palaces and would drink until they were in a stupor, especially the impoverished who wished to escape from their reality. Even children drank
1: it. But while things never got as dire here with regards to gin, there is still a lot of stigma when it comes to the cheaper Pinoy gins.
0: I think that class dimension of gin consumption is also alive in the Philippines today. It's something that Ambis consume and therefore... These drunk people are not productive members of society. The class dimension of gin also perpetuates the stigma that the poor cannot be trusted with money, which I would strongly argue is not true. I think that's a very unhelpful narrative that we associate poor people, gin, and drinking. The truth
2: is, though, pretty much everyone drinks gin.
1: Rich or poor, yuppies or seniors, men or women. And speaking of gender...
0: Gin is also gendered. I mean, the advertisements of gin for a long time was associated to real men, right? It's real men drinking gin.
2: The idea of gin as a gendered drink goes two ways. One, the common imagery in gin advertisements shows either men in suits or men in various uniforms for blue-collar jobs. Men are imagined as the productive members of society who supposedly deserve to relax after a hard day's work. And the
1: women in these ads? They're shown only when they're having fun, not when they're
2: working. And then you have all of those calendars of women in bikinis. Not that there's anything wrong with bikinis per se, but these are obviously serving the gaze of their male customers. But at
1: this point in time, we may be starting to break free from these old, gendered ideas about drinking. Gin in particular is starting to become more unisex, so
2: to speak. Gin crafters are starting to realize they are missing literally half their market if they ignore women.
0: But now, we are witnessing the popularity of pink gin. How they're presented, the colors, the fruit, the garnish. So I think there's also this trend of feminizing the drink, that it's not just a man's
2: drink. With some commercial gin brands, we're starting to see a wider variety of products, some marketed to men and some to women. Or both. At its heart, gin is an equalizer. Not just of gender, but of class too. Because anyone can have a cheeky tipple no matter how humble your circumstances. Gin is at home, whether in a pitcher of Tang or in a crystal rocks glass as a fancy pink gimlet.
1: A gimlet is a cocktail of gin and lime, just FYI. Everyone drinks gin and everyone has their own way to drink gin.
2: Now here's a question. Have you ever wanted to own art from national artist Fernando Amorsolo? It might seem out of your reach, but actually
1: every Filipino has an opportunity to own a print of an Amor Solo. You might even have one right now.
0: If You see the Hinebra label now of the angel fighting the devil. Obviously, that's changed over the years, but the original logo was pretty historic as well. I still don't understand the religious reference, but I think all Filipinos have a piece of Amor Solo every time they hold a Hinebra San Miguel bottle, or at least a
2: Fernando Amor Solo replica. The image is so familiar, you barely even register it anymore. But it's Archangel Michael vanquishing a demon.
1: Amorsolo earned enough after designing the label that he was able to study abroad. So we have Jin to thank for that national artist. And we have Jin to thank for bringing him to every Filipino. But all this
2: talking has made me thirsty. It's time for some actual indulgence. Stay with us as we toast to Jin and everything it's given us. <music>
1: You didn't think we'd do a gin episode without a taste test, did you?
2: Nicole was kind enough to show us her stash over a virtual inuman.
1: Like Nicole mentioned at the top of the episode, she's based in Australia. But you know the joke about Pinoy's. Pupuntayan kahit saan may inuman. Or, inuman. It looks like perfume bottles. Like how people display perfume bottles. You've got gin. First, we made the drinks. In this case, a Negroni. To make a Negroni, you take one part gin, one part campari, and one part vermouth. Doesn't matter how big the parts are as long
0: as they're equal. I have a gin specifically for Negroni, but really, it doesn't matter. So I just have this glass with ice. Usually, yes. dapat yung ice is already big para it doesn't melt ice. right away. Uh, ice. Ice. ice.
1: And Nicole, how many eyes? Is this enough eyes?
0: Yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And then whatever portion you have, it's equal portions for each. That's why I love it because you don't have to think. Easy. So take out this our bermot. Bermot.
2: Yeah, okay. yeah, we have the Campari.
0: So some people rub the, the peel uh, on the glass. Just maybe yeah, rub it. And then just dump the orange. Very small, small slice. You go to half. I have this.
1: Okay, half have down. The, have the... the gronies are really strong.
0: They're strong, but it's okay. It's a sipping drink. Ooh, okay.
1: So Cheers! Cheers. Cheers.
0: <laughs> Yay.
1: Yay!
0: Yay! The color is so beautiful.
1: It is pretty. And it smells so nice. Mm.
0: And then you can prepare a big batch. So what I usually do, I keep my tonic water bottles and then I keep my Negroni here. So emergency cocktail. What
1: counts as an emergency for a sociologist?
0: Uh, (laughs) Trolls or (laughs) typos when things get published. Oh, Oh no, that's my biggest fear. We use the word public a lot, and when the letter L gets lost, it's a problem. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Whoops. So, emergency Negroni moment.
2: (laughs) After a few sips and a little persuasion, Nicole let us in on some family secrets.
0: Another heirloom recipe that I have, except that I don't have children, so there will be no heirs. Um, just um, leave the orange um, maybe for a day or overnight, and then the following day, you just eat the orange. So it's just, yeah, it just absorbed all of it. So, yeah, drunk, drunk fruit.
1: Drunk
0: fruit. N- nilasing na orange. Well. So
1: <laughs> Look, Ma, no waste. If you can't finish your drink, make an alcoholic orange. I love the fact that our relationship with alcohol is a long, respectful one with tons of influences and rabbit holes to fall into. So, you know, drinks, like, there's so much history. You're really absorbing a bit of culture whenever you drink something, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. Like an Aperol, yeah, in Italy or a Negroni as well. It also is very place-based. It's everyday in Italy, but it has, like, a poshi element to it. Like, it's an aperitivo, it's whatever. But wang-wang. <laughs> or, <laughs> it's really so humble. It's, you know, it's it's not... Snooty, it's for everybody. So, what is why it's literally gin, tequila, rum, vodka. I think there's another alcohol there, pineapple juice, orange juice, I think brandy as well.
1: Gin, vodka, rum, tequila, brandy, grenadine syrup, orange juice, pineapple juice.
2: A few drinks in, Siege and Nicole even started to reminisce about their old drinking haunts.
0: I <laughs> not but it was okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> oh, oh,
1: that's part know. of the charm. Then exactly. karaoke.
0: Like.
1: Always,
2: always. And the karaoke machine is always like, two keys too high. <laughs> so you're trying to sing and like, the key the key goes too high and you're like, oh, no, no, no. What's
0: your wing wing karaoke song, Nicole? always hit me baby one more time kasi low register lang. Good. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Ikaw. Tainted.
2: Oh. Because I can make pa sexy. Perfect. So. Yeah. That is
0: weng-weng material. Ikaw, siy. Yeah.
2: Ay, nako. Very weng-weng yung akin. What's yours? <laughs>
1: Nang mailaba ko sa'yo, kaloko pag-ibig mo ay tulay, pero hindi nagtagal mo. <laughs>
2: kasi nila ang kulay na kulay. That is the most impressive thing you have ever yeah. done. That is the most impressive
1: Thank thing. Thank you. So, that was a good night. We drank responsibly, made merry, and then made sure to drink water before going to bed.
2: Alcohol can be fun, but it should always be drunk responsibly. And, if you can, with good friends.
1: Oh, I love drinking with you. You too! Stay tuned for What's Next for Gin!
2: So gin has come a long way from monasteries and the apothecaries of Europe to the various colonies in Southeast Asia. It's been a medicine, a poor man's drink, and then a rich man's drink, and then both, and then a women's drink, and then all of the above.
1: Right now, gin is experiencing a resurgence in popularity and innovation. Here in the Philippines, we've got homegrown boutique brands coming out like Arc Botanical
2: Gin and Proclamation Gin, one of Nicole's personal favorites. But the challenge is, like many crops, the material we use to make gin is being threatened by climate change.
0: Gin and any alcohol or actually any product is really reliant on the land, right? It's reliant on predictable weather patterns. So yeah, with increasing climate catastrophes, our alcohol production line is at risk. One trend that I really like here in Australia and also in the UK is the mainstreaming of carbon-neutral distilleries. In fact, some of them are already carbon-negative. So deliberately, they make vegan, carbon-neutral, if not carbon-negative gins.
1: And across the world, distilleries are innovating by making gin with local botanicals. In South America, the Gracias Adios Agave Gin uses 32 botanicals, one from each Mexican state. Japanese gin, Nika Coffee, uses their native citrus, Yuzu. And here in the Philippines, some craft distillers use Sampagita, Dalantan, Ilang-Ilang, and more.
0: There's a growing community of craft distillers in the country. And I mean, the truth is, if it's a craft gin, it necessarily is more expensive because it's small batch, right? I mean, the reason why Ginebra is cheap is because it's mass-produced. But yeah, economies of scale just will not allow craft gin distillers to sell at an affordable price point. That's just the nature of craft gin. So yeah, increasingly, I think there is not necessarily a shift of associating gin with um, poorer people, but there is, I think, this association of, yeah, the more discerning palette, people who are trying to experiment with craft gin. Yeah, I just hope that the classist discourse uh, about gin goes away. I mean, this matapobre anti-gin sentiment is just not helpful.
2: All on its own, gin is making a splash. (laughs) But we can help it get to the next level.
0: So I very much want to see our craft distillers taking the global stage. I mean, let's face it, the global gin community, as with all industries, it's still heavily dominated by players from the global north, right? From U.S. and Europe, but the Philippines can be... Uh, the global capital of gin innovations, right? We're the biggest consumers of gin in the world. So I also hope to see more accessibly priced craft gin for more people to enjoy. I would very much like to see a Filipino gin on the shelf of a bar, you know, in a random European country or in a random bar in Australia, because Don Papa is on that level already. When I go to bars and I look at the rum menu, it's no longer surprising to see Don Papa in that menu. So in a way, you know, Philippine rum has made it globally. So I hope our gin also gets to that level. Um, it's a point of pride for me, right? Come on, let's share um, San Miguel. Let's, let's share the angel in that bottle.
1: Cuatro Cantos might seem so common to us now, but it's actually pretty good gin, as is our Pinoy craft gin. So whichever you drink, be proud of it. And let's bring our gin to the world.
0: Cheers!
2: Now it's time for Quenta Corner, a little thing about this story that we loved. Do you like the name Jennifer? For a while, it felt like everyone was named Jennifer. Jennifer Aniston, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Jennifer Lawrence, Jennifer Garner, Jenny from the Block. Did you know Jennifer is actually related to gin? You might have had a little clue when we kept saying Yennever, but... The name actually comes from Juniper.
1: Yeah, Juniper. Juniper sounds so French and fancy. But then, actually, the influence of Juniper is all around us. So like in literature from, you know, the old medieval tales, Guinevere is a
0: derivative of Juniper.
1: So the French name for Juniper is... Mm -hmm. Ginevra.
0: I see. Okay. And Spanish obviously is Ginebra. (laughs)
1: Yes. (laughs) And then, you know, and then when it crosses over to England, it becomes Guinevere. Guinevere. And then the Americans got Jennifer. Yeah. (laughs) So the next time you meet a Jenny, you can tell her her name comes from Juniper, a historical medicine and
2: the root of gin. And maybe make a toast to Juniper and thank it for all it's given us. Just remember to drink responsibly. Class dismissed. If you learned something new in this episode, share it with a friend. And if you're old enough, grab a drinking buddy and have a Negroni. Curious who our next
1: guests are? Subscribe to this show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts to get sneak peeks on our upcoming episodes.
2: And let's stay connected. Follow WhatsApp on social media. Check out Instagram at History.rebooted, or Facebook.com slash History Rebooted, or Twitter at History Rebooted. Once again,
1: I'm Tentenko Malolos, Puma Podcast. I'm on social media at Siege the Day. C-E-E-J the Day because I think you should seize the day. You can also catch more podcasts. 5 Minutes long is our show on adulting and practical life skills while Go Hard Girls features amazing Pinay athletes.
2: And I'm Sab Schnabel, Puma Podcast. I'm on X at Sabrina Schnabel. That's S-C-H-N-A-B-E-L. It rhymes with cable and it means beak. You can also read more from me at journalism. That's journalixm.com.
1: This episode of WhatsApp Araling Panlipunan Rebooted was produced by Nina Toralba and edited by Joe Salcedo. Our Negroni Tasting Session was recorded on location by Freddy Blanco. Art by Trix Casilian.